Isn't that the truth of that, that, uh, that song? That's an incredible song, isn't it? Thank you very much. Give them a hand. They're a great bunch of people. Just wanted to let you know that if you didn't know, and, and maybe not everybody would know Aaron and Jess in our church, but they've been here quite a few years and they met uh, a couple of years ago, maybe, a bit less than that. And they're getting married next weekend. Hey. So uh, there he is. What happened to your fiance? Oh, there she is. Oh. So there's a little bit of a problem already. <laughs> right. Anyway, they wanted to let you know that um, you're very welcome to come to their wedding ceremony. And, uh, and that wedding ceremony is, of course, going to be out at the old Raglan Station. And uh, if you, maps will be available up the back. And if you need them and you can contact, if you could please contact Jess by Wednesday for afternoon tea, because you're invited to the ceremony and the afternoon tea, not necessarily the whole thing, but just the afternoon tea as well. And uh, please contact Jess uh, by Wednesday after, for afternoon tea after the ceremony. That'd be great. You can be a part of that. So there you go. And if you need to get out there, let us know. Another great um, thing we started last weekend was our YPs, Young People's Group, and this morning... My wonderful son-in-law, Steve's looking after that. There he is, all excited. And, um, and if 12 and 13 rolls, it is, isn't it, Steve? 12. Yep, so you guys can go now, if you haven't already, and join him out the back. That would be brilliant. So all of those, how's that? Fantastic. There they all go. Great bunch of young people. Have a great morning. Meanwhile, in here, could we turn to a Bible passage in Matthew chapter 14 this morning? Matthew chapter 14. I want to just read to you that passage about when Jesus walked on water. It's an interesting passage. It's, It's really the only incident that's recorded in Scripture that anybody walked on water. Um... You know, the Bible actually says that if all the things that Jesus did were recorded, it would be a massive book. So I imagine Jesus might have walked on water more than once, and maybe even some of his other disciples might have walked on water, but it's recorded at least once here in Matthew 14. Let's uh, read it. If Please turn to your own Bible, but if you haven't got that, it's on the screen. It says, Immediately, um, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Talking about the Sea of Galilee, he was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, when Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, if it really is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, one word, come. And Peter came down out of the boat. He walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when, the boat, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of what? God. Great passage of Scripture. I'd like to just, uh, I won't read the rest of the whole chapter, but if we were to read the whole chapter of Matthew 14, that you would see clearly that Jesus had quite a day. And all the instances that happened, this was the last event on the day that happened, but all the things that happened in that day were incredible. Um, incredible for Jesus, because, you know, we sometimes think Jesus was God, but, you know, he was totally man as well. So he felt and he had emotions, and he, he, when he felt things, he felt them just like we have. And so for that day, I would have to say Jesus' life was like an emotional roller coaster. Because it started out this way, if you were to read the whole chapter of Matthew 14, it started out him receiving the news that John the Baptist had been murdered. Herod had chopped his head off. And so Jesus, now facing that information, tries to get time to himself, it says in Matthew 14. He tries to get away to pray. He goes to an isolated place. I think he went there to, to, just, to just to be able to drill down and think about the realities of what he's just lost. He just lost his good friend John the Baptist. And so he gets away by himself, but unfortunately the crowd, around the area of Capernaum, which is like the northeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee, they all find out where he is. They come to Jesus. He has compassion on them. It says in Matthew 14 that he has compassion. He heals the sick. He ministers to them. And then we see as evening comes on, he, he, he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. A miraculous event, would you say? And then finally that's all complete. Everybody's had enough. And he sends the disciples in a boat across the sea to meet him just over more on the other side of the Lake Sea of Galilee and he himself then sends the multitudes away and he finally gets the time he's been seeking all day just to be by himself and so he goes up a mountain and starts, he has a bit of a, a, a long chat with his heavenly father at the fourth watch of the evening which is between 3 a.m and 6 a.m in the morning okay that's what the fourth watch means he finally decides it's time to go and see what the disciples are up to and he takes a little walk across the sea, which is quite an incredible miracle in itself. I mean, if you could, uh, if you could walk on the ocean, uh, you know, that would be quite a wonderful thing. Why would we need boats? Wouldn't that be brilliant? All the men and women who live on the island over there and work, you know, we just have this, uh, we just have a, uh, you know, this is where you walk. You just walk across here, across the sea. Wouldn't it be a great thing? But we do know that that's quite impossible. And so we see Jesus, he is... Uh, the last event of the day is just a bit of water walking. Now, a lot has happened in one day. Would you agree? Um, friend murdered, sick healed, multitude fed in a, in a miracle, a lengthy prayer time with his dad, and then just finish it off with a walk across the Sea of Galilee. What a day in the life of Jesus. Did you ever consider the fact, that just thinking about the walk he had, have you ever considered how far did he walk that night on the water? As you look at the geographical indicators in Scripture of how far he walked, my guesstimation to the best I can guess is he actually walked about three or four kilometers to get to the disciples that night. Um, because the Word of God says that they, when the disciples, the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Did you know what the widest, widest part of the Sea of Galilee is 13 kilometers across? 
And where Jesus was coming from the northeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee, and he wanted to kind of go to the, north, uh, to the northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee, to get to the disciples would have been around three or four kilometers walk. I could have thought of better ways to get to them. I could have thought of better things to do at that particular night. It's three to six o'clock in the morning. I would have thought, well, just have a good night's sleep. You've earned it. You had a pretty big day. You've got to get through that. Um, the disciples will get there. Just let, leave them alone for a while. They'll find their way. But no, Jesus decides to take a walk. And I asked myself, Jesus, you could have done it some other way. Because, you know, the very next day in Matthew 15, it says Jesus literally in verse 29 of Matthew, he skirted the outside of the Sea of Galilee to get back to Capernaum. Why couldn't he have just walked around? Why didn't he just do a beam me up, Scotty, and, you know, beam me down into the boat if he was really that desperate to get to the disciples? I mean, Philip did in the, in the, second, in the book of Acts, didn't he? If you read the scripture, why didn't Jesus do that? Why in the world did he have to exert so much effort in a sea that was angry because the wind was blowing, the waves were high? He walked, had to walk across an angry sea to the disciples. And I think you've got to... So see, sometimes you've got to just explore Scripture a little bit and ask some questions. And as I started to explore the reality of why, Jesus, did you walk on the water? And why did you allow it to be put in Scripture? I'd have to say this because he wanted to teach some lessons to the disciples about water walking. And ultimately, he wanted to teach us. So today, I want to talk to you lessons on how to walk on water, or even better, lessons from water walking. Is that cool? Let's have a look at it together for a moment. You're with us. You're there. I want to say first, walking on water lesson is this. Walking on water physically is impossible. Okay, walking on water. Now, you may say to me, that's, no, that's not physically impossible. Peter actually walked on water. No, he didn't, folks. He didn't walk on water. Whoever gave you that thought, he walked on water. He didn't walk on water because I've, just, I've tried to walk on water. I remember my mate had a pool. And we used to invent all types of flotation kind of apparatuses to try and walk across that pool. Never made it once. We used to jump on boogie boards, all types of things. Get floaties and tie them to our feet. It never happened. Just never happened. Couldn't walk on water. I've discovered walking on water is physically impossible because it just won't sustain my weight. It won't sustain your weight. You may say, but James, you haven't got it right because Peter did definitely walk on water. Folks, Peter didn't walk on water. You know what Peter walked on that day? Peter walked on the word of God. As he stood in that boat and he said, Jesus, if that's really you, if that's really you, command me to come. And Jesus says, not a problem, come. Peter stepped out of that boat and he stepped on the faith of God's word. He took the word of God and he said, oh, that'll do me. I'll just walk on that. I'll walk because... I want to tell you, it quite literally is impossible to walk on water. It's quite literally sometimes in the situations you face, in the circumstances that you face, uh, the circumstances and the struggles and the pressures and sometimes the hurts and the, and the pain of life, it's quite impossible for you to be able to face that and get through that. I want to tell you that today, if it wasn't for God's truth and God's word and his love for us. It's quite impossible to live this life. I don't know how some people do. In actual fact, many people opt out of this life and unfortunately people do silly things like suicide. Well, not necessarily silly to them at the time. It seems very much what they need to do. But, but I want to tell you that's, that's where we need something greater than ourselves because it's not by might nor power, is it? 
but it's also by His Spirit. And there's one thing about God's Word, is His Word can be just not um, letters on a page, or maybe, you know, on an iPad, but it literally can be life to us as we read it. And it can help us to negotiate the things of life and the pressures and the struggles. And when we turn to his word and his truth. For Peter that day, it was an incredible strength to walk out on that water. He walked on the water. It only took one word. And sometimes it only takes one word for God to just deposit something in your heart. And you know that you know that it's okay. It's going to be okay. You can sometimes just take a verse like, like, you know, he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you know, thank you, God, I take that. It can be a word like this. It can be just, you know, nothing is impossible for God. And say, God, I take that. It can be that when you're tempted, you can say, Father, as I submit to you, James 4, 7, and resist the devil, he's got to flee. You can, I take that. I'm going to stand on that word today. I'm going to walk on that word today. I want to encourage us today to realize Peter didn't walk on water. He walked on the faith of the word that he trusted, that it was Jesus who was telling him to come, and it just took one word. And I want to say that, you know, the truth is it says, Jesus actually says in Luke 4, 4, which he was repeating that was first written in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as physical um, food sustains us, church, so his word is an incredible sustenance to our spiritual man that actually does overflow into our health as well in our physical man. His word. You can't live just by bread. And some people don't, unfortunately. They, they think they're living, but they're living far beneath what God would want for them. So Peter had two things that actually he walked on that day. He, he walked... He walked, the first thing he walked on was that he had that word, which was Jesus. Because it says, in, in, it says um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, referring to Jesus. So he not only had that word, but he had a word, and the word was just come. It was from the mouth of Jesus himself. And that's why, uh, let's just start, maybe I'll just show you this verse, that one's man cannot live. But I take you to this verse. That's why the psalmist wrote these things. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. That talks about his word, us walking on his word. And Psalm 119, direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Isn't that true? Can I encourage you that reading God's word every day isn't just a nice thing. It's an incredibly healthy and important thing for you to do. It's, an, it's a powerful truth because with all the media inlets that we have coming into our life, as we look at Facebook and Twitter, as we have the news, as we have everything that bombards us, and, and there's wonderful, uh, wonderful, I use all those things, I think they're incredible um, uh, things that we can use for the, God's kingdom, but you know, ultimately you've got to come back to God's word. Do we read more of the newspaper than we do of his word? And I pray that won't be your case, but that you'll find that you can be the person who'll find as you read his word, that it'll be like just a light to your path and a lamp to your what? Feet. That's what I pray. And every day, every day, he wants to direct us. Do you know there's an interesting experiment that was conducted and it highlights the importance of what I'm saying. And the experiment was really simple. It was just a, um, it was just a column of, of wood and they suspended it from a roof, 
from the roof of, a, um, of their, their building, these scientists, and it was just suspended by a, a rope, a thin rope, and, and, 100, and it was weighed 100 kilograms. And they set up a procedure where they took a cork. Everybody know what a cork is? It's just, you know, a cork in a bottle. A featherweight, it's so light. And they took that cork, and somehow they rigged it so that cork would swing down and just hit the, the, uh, hit the uh, pylon or the, you know, the uh, wooden beam. And they just set it up so that it would continue to do that. Somehow, all the time. I don't know how they did it, but anyway, that's what they did. And it's funny because after the first several hours, that beam just stood there. But little something was happening because after a day, the beam started to swing just several inches. After several days, the beam started to swing out to about half a meter. After another week, the beam was swinging now a meter. After a couple of weeks, the beam was actually swinging to probably its furthest extent its weight would allow it. And I was just contemplating, isn't that interesting? Something so light can affect something so heavy. And you know, I want to say sometimes just the consistency, you know, when something consistently hits something else, it's going to affect it. And please realize that what you do consistently will change you. What you do consistently will change you. When you continue to read the Bible, you realize that it's changing you. It's moving you from the mindsets to godly mindsets. It's, you start to believe that I can live as Christ lived. I, you, know, you start to realize that those old habits don't have to be a part of your life anymore. And um, I believe as you know God's word, you can live in forgiveness. You can live in a constant... Passion to say, Father, continue to change me. As you read His truth, you can find that joy becomes your strength. As you read His word, you start to realize that your heart needs to obey Him. You know, His word is an incredible tool for our purpose, and it's amazing that it's existed for you know literally thousands of years, and God has preserved it for us. You know, Peter, with every step, he was being transformed as he stood upon the Word of God. I reckon every step he took, it must have been something happening in his heart. Another step. I'm walking on water. Another step. Faith would have been growing. Things would have been transformed in his heart as he took every step out towards Jesus. And it was on that particular word that he stood. Um, God knew, or Jesus knew, that Peter would eventually become the person who would lead the disciples and preach on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And 3,000 people would respond to Jesus Christ that day. God, Jesus knew that Peter was the one who needed to sort his life out. Because of all the disciples, Peter was the, most, was the one who was most out there. Always put his foot in his mouth. Always have something to say. He said some incredible things and he said some incredibly stupid things as well. But God was working on a man's heart. And one of the things that I believe Jesus was... In, in, um, drilling down into Peter's soul that as you work, step out on the word faith can be established amen lessons in walking on water the second lesson in walking on water that I see this morning is this fear is a loss of focus not a set of circumstances not because of a set of circumstances let me just talk to you about this this morning Fear, I'll say it again, fear is a loss of focus, not just because of a set of circumstances. In actual fact, it never initially starts with a set of circumstances that you get fearful of. Um, we become fearful in life because we lose focus, not because of the actual circumstances we face. 
um, fear is what we perceive might happen and not actually would happen. Would you agree? Sometimes fear is what we perceive. I know there's some real things that we fear because um, it's, 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 fear is healthy. It's healthy to teach your children not to put their hands on hot plates on the stove. Isn't that? That's good. So fear is healthy, but it's just that sometimes there's some fear that is simply a perception in your mind and it's not actual circumstance. Um, I want to say this. Notice that Peter, what had already walked on the water for some distance before he actually sank. Okay? Just get that picture. So Peter's faith was strong because he was focusing on who? Jesus. He was focusing on the source of which, uh, of which Jesus was that source. And everything, uh, and, and Jesus was not about to promote anything else but faith and encouragement. And as he focused on the source, he was able to walk. Now, as we look in the scripture, um, it says in verse 30, if we just went back, Verse 30, look what it says, and immediately, um, sorry, 30, but when he, what did he see? But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he then became what? Afraid. Can you see the um, set of events? The, the, uh, the, it, first of all, he lost focus and then fear came. I want to tell you a lot of the time in your life, fear is not the first port of call for your heart. It's often you've lost focus from the source. You've lost focus on the source of your strength. You lost focus on what you should be really looking at. Peter saw, then he was fearful. He wasn't fearful, then saw. No, he, was, he lost focus, and then he was fearful. And I've discovered in life that many times in my life, that's been the problem. It's not that there's been any circumstances that are really that bad. It's all been perceived. It's really that I've just lost focus on what needs to be my source and strength. I remember as a young man, when I first came to Gladstone, some of us might have lived this long <clears throat> and remember these things. They were called um, outhouses. Who remembers them? Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> In Australian culture, many, many years ago, I'm talking now 40 years ago in Gladstone, the toilet was located in a little room in a little house right at the backyard corner, as far as away you could be, because often it didn't kind of smell that, that wonderful. And so when I came to Gladstone, there was an incredible awakening for me, because I lived in another city that actually had toilets inside the house. And now there's this thing outside in the backyard in the back corner of my house, and it's called the toilet, and that's where I'm supposed to go and do the stuff that everybody does. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. And as a little 8, 9, 10-year-old, it was incredibly scary because the last thing you had to do before you go to bed was to go to that place. And it was dark, and there was no light there. And so in my perceived thoughts... I used to think up all types of things that were in that little can. <laughs> Spiders, snakes, toads. Oh man, it was scary. And my house was two levels, so I had to run down these external stairs to get to the toilet. And for some reason, not only was the toilet scary, but running up the stairs, I thought there was creatures under there that lived and they were going to grab me by the ankles as I run up the stairs. Phew, man, I had a trouble going to the toilet. <laughs> And often, often, folks, I never went in the house. I just would water the banana tree beside the toilet. But that's another story. So reality is, is when my dad would take me to the toilet, I had no troubles. No trouble at all. And dad took me to the toilet. He'd say, come on, let's go to the toilet. I'd say, I'm in. <laughs> I'll go with you. Folks, 
For some reason, there was no spiders, there was no snakes, no toads in my brain, there was no creepy creature under the stairs. When Dad took me, it was complete different focus. But when I went by myself, the focus was all about what I thought was there and it wasn't there. And I think as Christians, sometimes what we find is, is that our focus... If, uh, did you notice what Jesus says in 31? He says, oh, of you of little faith, why did you fear? Is that what he said? Look at 31. Did he say, oh, you little faith, why did you fear? No. Why did you? Doubt. You've got to see that. He didn't talk about... The first thing that Jesus is saying, why did you doubt? Where did doubt come from? Doubt came from lack of focus. You started to lose belief in me, Peter. You started to lose belief because you got your eyes off the source and you put it on the wind and the waves. You lost focus and you started to doubt and then out of doubt comes fear and being afraid. So we've got to please realize if you remain focused, folks, nothing can come against you. That is too, that's going to make you fearful, I tell you. If you maintain focus, if you maintain vision, if you maintain seeing what you know is the truth and not allowing the perceived thoughts to rule your heart and mind and head. Would you agree this morning? You've got to understand that. First thing that Peter happened to, what happened was he lost focus. And when he lost focus, man, that was the problem. He began to sink it's not fear that stops faith, it's often doubt that stops faith. Fear is not so much because we look at the problem, it's as, as much as we stop looking at the source of faith. And that's our Jesus and His Word and His truth. That's where we lose focus. And there's many things that will distract you, many things that will make you lose focus in life. You know, you just got to go through the day and there's all types of things want to come up and problems and you know you're facing a problem and you and you got all these thoughts and bombard you or this could happen and this could happen and this could happen and at the end of the day if you just realize that they're all perceived thoughts and they're not actual actual things that are going to happen and what happens is the distraction or the that it, it you lose focus and you start to get fearful and you start to doubt will god you know will god really help me will god pull me through here it, uh. second walking lesson is Fear is not a um, is fear is a loss of focus, not of circumstances, not of the things around. You know that, that I talked last week about Job. You remember Job? He was an incredibly rich man, the richest man in all his land. You know, had seven sons, a couple daughters, just a myriad of stock, camels, donkeys, sheep, everything. He had it all. And every day it says in chapter one, or regularly, I should say, he would go and make an offering for his sons and daughters because he was concerned. His focus was on them um, displeasing God. And if they displeased God, they would, um, maybe God would um, kill them. And guess what? That happened one day. Well, not so much God, but that happened. And the very thing he says, the very thing I feared came upon me. And I want to say that the fear, where did the fear in Job's heart come from is because he lost focus on the incredible God that he serves. Because there must have been, prior to this, God's blessing on his life. He was the richest man in all the land, God's blessing, and, and he would worship God, and he lost focus on that, and he started to be concerned about if my kids, I just want my kids not to mess up, and if they mess up, something bad might happen, and what do you know, the thing he lost focus on and what he didn't then had fear about came upon him. Does that make sense? Come on, church, walking lessons, realize, don't lose focus. Here's the third thing this morning. But walking on water or walking lessons that we can learn about 
and, and it's really simple. Uh, don't ever doubt the, lo- that, the love that God has for you. Don't ever doubt it. Um, it's interesting because in this passage of Scripture, I just took, took note that verse 32, when they got into the boat, what happened? Come on, tell me. You can tell me. The wind stopped. The wind ceased. Why did not the wind cease when Jesus and Peter were out from the boat and they had to walk back to the boat? Why didn't Jesus kind of deal with it then? Have you thought about that? It's only when they got into the boat, into the protection of the boat, that the wind ceased. Why didn't Jesus just stop the wind and the waves and everything when they had to walk back together? Because either Jesus took Peter under the arm and walked him back on the water again, or he actually picked up Peter and carried him back to whatever happened. It would have been far easier to have less wind and waves. Would you agree? But we see that Jesus, the wind and waves didn't cease till he got back in the boat. Why in the world they even put that scripture in there? Why they put verse 30? Why, what significance has that got to do with the situation? Who cares when the wind and waves stopped? Well, I think it was significantly put there for a reason because I want to tell you this is the reason I believe. Um, here is the purpose. Per, Peter was learning firsthand that in the storms of life, Jesus still won't let you go. He won't let you go if you cast your cares upon him and let him have rule and reign in your life. He could have stopped the wind and waves. He said, Pete, let's just walk back. I'll carry you. It's nice and calm. Now we'll, we'll do this together. No, he kept the storm going until they got back in the safety of the boat because I think he wanted to help. Peter, I'm always going to hold you. I want you to walk on water, Peter, but ultimately I'm never going to let you go. Isn't it a great God we serve? The love of God. How incredible is it, our God? Would you just settle it in your heart, the reality that God, um, that His heart towards you, that he, he loves you. Don't ever doubt that God doesn't love you. But you say, God couldn't love me. I've done this and I've done this. My goodness, you know, the wonderful thing is that's why He says forgiveness and repentance is such a powerful thing because it just allows the love, the love of God to infiltrate your heart. And you know, God, well, I can never, you've heard me say this, but you can never do anything so bad that He would stop Him from loving you. And you could never, He could never do anything that would stop Him loving you any less. That's an incredible God. He, he, he mightn't agree with the stuff we do, but he, that doesn't mean he doesn't want to reach out to us in love and grace all the time. See, um, God has an incredible compassion and love for us. Wouldn't it be a terrible God that if we had to get all our life perfect before he extended his love towards us? What about those people he fed that day? You know, the 5,000 men and plus all the women and children, not counted. It says in Scripture in Matthew 14 that he saw the multitude and he had hatred for them. Did he? No, it says he saw the multitude and he had compassion for them. Did every one of those people believe in Jesus? No. Did every one of those people actually, you know, pray a prayer of commitment? No. Mainly because they didn't have that in those days. Did every one of those people think believe in God no and yet he had compassion for them anyway if you want more on this particular topic go back three weeks and talk about and look at my message on the um on the iPod and the iTunes and you can download um the power of a kiss an amazing grace that God extends to us but let's continue on with this God wants us to be confident and that confidence comes out of a knowing that he is with us and we can trust him and he accepts us 
And, and you know, just because we have to trust him and love him doesn't mean, make us wimps or weak people. Okay, I tell you, some of the strongest men and women in this world are the people who continually know that their life is nothing without our, our God in their lives. Um, we never know how much we have to trust him until we realize how much we can't save ourselves. And Peter realized that today and that day. And you know the greatest thing about Peter's story and him walking on water? Some would say that the greatest thing about that day was Peter actually walking on water. No, it wasn't. That wasn't the greatest event of that moment. You know the greatest event of that moment was when Peter sat the sink and he realized who could save him. (laughs) And he said, Jesus, would you save me? That's the greatest event. Do you know that's the greatest event that can ever happen in any heart, in any person in this room this morning, that we would realize that we need our Savior, that we realize we need our God? That's the greatest thing. That's all that God really wants to know is that you're going to call out to Him and that your heart, more importantly, is surrendered in love to Him because with that, He can do incredible things in your life and through your life. But with a hardened heart full of pride and selfishness and I'll do my own thing, He can't work with that. And he won't force his way into your life. He'll only extend. And for him, the greatest words that he heard that day, and the greatest thing wasn't to see Peter walking on water, is when Peter was sinking, he said, would you save me, Jesus? Jesus says, not a problem. Reach out his hand and either picked him up or just helped him to walk back on water again. Whatever the case, the greatest thing was right that moment. And the greatest thing in our hearts is, I'm not just talking about coming to Christ and salvation. I'm talking about as a Christian, just continually realizing that our life needs to be in his hands. That's not weak, folks. That's incredible strength to do that. It says in the word, my last thought, the last verse, it says, Man, uh, not that one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It's a verse that you've written in many cards for many people over many years, and we know it, but do we live it? God, help me to trust in you. Help me to trust in you. Because your understanding sometimes is full of reasoning that isn't necessarily correct or right, is it? We are at our strongest when we acknowledge his strength is greater than ours, our Jesus. I love the, I, I turn to a, a favorite story of mine, but another part of it that maybe I've never told. And it's about a, a French acrobat called Charles Blondin, Charles Blondin. And many of you would know Charles Blondin because he was the guy who used to string a tightrope across Niagara Falls and he'd walk across it. And he'd do this as, it was a pretty good party trick, believe me. And hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people would flock to Niagara Falls on both sides to see Charles Blondin actually do this. And on the many occasions that he did do it, one day, and you know, there was, there's many stories you might have heard, but I don't know if you've heard this one. On one day that he, he walked across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow in front of him with a bag of cement in the wheelbarrow, and he pushed it across and he brought it back again um, just a side note, it's interesting, a lot of people thought, oh, that would be so heavy. But did you know the bag of cement actually kept the wheelbarrow on the tight road? <laughs> That's why he did it. Um, they probably didn't think of that. But when he got to the other side, he took the cement out, got him to take the cement out. And he said, you know, and, and on several occasions he did this. He says, anybody game enough to come with me, hop in the wheelbarrow. And everybody said, no way. But one man put his hand up and said, I'll hop in the wheelbarrow. So he, he set off across with this man in a wheelbarrow. I think that's a, that's a step of faith, isn't it? <laughs> Far out. 
He was 50, suspended 50 meters above Niagara Falls. One slip up and you're gone. So this guy hops in the wheelbarrow and he starts to push it across. Now, maybe out of familiarity, I don't know what, but reality was is that we find that there was a lot of um, bets being laid that day. On either side of the, of the tightrope, people were betting on whether he'd make it or not. And you're a good person to bet against Charles Blondin because he never fell. But one man had put a fair bit of money on the fact that he was going to make some money this day and he put a fair bit of money because he'd already put a scheme in place that he would sneak up and he'd cut one of the guy wires that actually held the, um, the tightrope. And that's what he did. He cut one. And as Blondin and this guy in a wheelbarrow are halfway across the falls, the whole tightrope starts to just um, twitch up and down. It took everything of Blondin's ability and strength to maintain the wheelbarrow in his balance. As the tightrope started to just slow down a little bit, his, the actual wheelbarrow rim just popped off the tightrope. So neither wheelbarrow with the man in it is possibly going to fall to their death. And Blondin said to the man with, with authority, he said, stand up. And the man says, I'm not going to stand up. He says, stand up or you'll die. I'll stand up. He stood up. He says, put your arms around my neck. He put his arms around his neck. He says, put your legs around my torso. He put his legs. It was like a koala bear. And as he did this, Blondin let go of the wheelbarrow and it fell into the water below. And it took every inch of Blondin's strength and ability to walk that tightrope with a man literally hanging on to him. The extra weight, the skill that he needed was incredible. He made it. I want to just say that God would look at you today and come on and say, you feel like you're in the middle of an ocean that you're sinking, or maybe a circumstances want to just consume you. It's like water just wants to rush all over your head and drown you in life. He's saying, come on, would you stand up? You say, no, no, I don't want to stand up. I just want to remain in this fetal position. <laughs> I just want to maybe feel sorry for myself sometimes. And I, I can't. This, this problem weighs me down too much. But God says, stand up. Because I want you to take a hold of me. Just like Peter took a hold of Jesus and Jesus took a hold of Peter. He is our strength. And as Blondin walked back across and saved that man's life as, and his own life, the wonderful thing is that that man put his trust in Blondin and Blondin had to put his trust in that man that he would remain there attached to him because if this man, quite literally Blondin's life was dependent upon this man and you know Jesus Christ gave his very best for us but he didn't save himself, he died that we might have life, isn't it amazing? Could we stand today as we close our service? Walking lessons on water. You could probably read that passage and get another 10. I don't know. But I just think God would say, who, who is your life surrendered to? Is it surrendered to things? Is it surrendered to other people? God would just say, would you just surrender your life to me? I will do the very best I can.
He wants us to make right decisions. He wants us to direct us. He wants to lead us. And it's not about looking back this morning. It's about taking, going, starting from where you are today and moving forward and saying, yes, yes. So while we're here in this service, if you would just allow me the freedom to ask you this question this morning, if you could maybe just give everybody else a little bit of privacy. And if you're here this morning and would just want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, I'd love the opportunity just to pray with you after the service. But I'd love just to, you to indicate that this morning and say, I've never responded to Jesus Christ. I've never committed my life to him. Or maybe that today you have in the past, but you know today you need to renew that. I'd love the opportunity just to pray with you where you are this morning. Could you just raise your hand for a moment? I see that hand. You can put it down and we'll continue on from there. Is there anybody this morning? Anybody just needs to make their peace with God. And it all starts with our heart and just a prayer heart confession. We're all good this morning. Well, that's good. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you say, yeah, I can see the reality. I need to remain focused. I need to just remain focused and not allow fear and doubt to come into my heart. I just need to stand on his word. I just need to take that word and start to, start to tr- let it become part of me. I need to realize that God does love me and he's not here trying to hit me over the head with a four before all the time, that he does care. I'd just love to pray for you this morning. And, you know, the church this morning, where, where you're standing, if you, just, if you want to be included in this prayer, I just invite you just to lift your hand to him. And behind your hand is just a heart of surrender and saying, Father, more of you. Just help me, Father, more of you in my life. I need you. Just raise your hand this morning and let me just pray for you. If there's any people, thank you for people here this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you today. That you see every heart, but you're seeing the hearts behind the hands today. And I ask, Father, for a strength, as we're honest with you, that we need you in our life. Father, that you are all that we need. That, Father, you'd help us to remain focused and not allow doubt to rule our hearts. And then ultimately fear to come in. That you'd help us, Lord, just to stand upon the word that creates such faith in our lives. To step through the storms, to come through them and come strong. Father, we would cry out to you, we need you. You created us in the garden and we've needed you ever since. And Lord, we present ourselves today. And what we're really saying is that we'd be a, we'd be a living sacrifice, alive but dead to our old nature and alive to you. So help those folk who raise their hands today to do that. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. And I commit them to you and I thank you for each person here today. We need you. And everyone who agrees said, Amen. Come on, let's just worship for a moment. Let's sing this song.